listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Um, I want to jump in now to our sermon. Um, and again, it's, a, it's an exciting passage because we're going to be talking about conflict resolution. How do we do that well? Uh, what does that mean as the, as the body of Christ? All right. So before I jump into that, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll do it. God, we thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you that you are uh, on the move, Lord. You are changing lives. You are baptizing and transforming us from the inside out. You are teaching us what, it's, what it means to be in community, what it means to be your people, what it means to be your children, um, and how to love and serve one another and with each other in an exciting and new and fun and um, communal way. Uh, we know that with that, uh, there's hardship. With that, there is difficult times. With that, there's conflict. God, we're not immune to conflict because we're your children, because we're, um, we're broken. We're hurting people in this world that are seeking and needing you. God, so as we preach and teach and learn your word this morning, I pray your presence uh, be felt, that your word be preached, and that you transform us from the inside out. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there are, there are two, really, I think, two main um, environments that are really toxic, if we really look at the term, right? There are two types of environments that are toxic, and both these types of environments that are toxic have something to do with how conflict is addressed, right? So the first main, the first area of conflict, the toxic environment that I think conflict arises, what the response is when conflict arises is, is we want to fight, right? We want to be like, wait a minute, I'm standing on my truth. I'm standing on what I believe. This is who I am, and what I know is what I want is more important than what's better for the greater good. I don't know if you've been in environments like that where it's like, man, this is unhealthy. Like, everything seems to be a fight, or everything seems to be aggressive, and the other side of a toxic environment um, is when conflict arises, we want to avoid, or we want to we want to hold back, and we want to like throw things under the rug. We don't want to bring it up, and then bitterness starts to grow and fester, um, and that that's also a very toxic and unhealthy environment. So as I'm sharing those, I think you probably might be thinking about maybe an example in your life where I've been in, I've been in a couple of those types of environments in my life, uh, whether it's a family environment, church environment, team environment, whatever that is. But as we share about how we deal with conflict and, and conflict resolution, it, it's important to recognize these realities. I remember one example, uh, I shared this a few weeks ago uh, at, a, at a training with some of our people, but I remember my senior year of football, uh, high school, I played at Monroe High School, grew up in this area, uh, but we assembled one of the, the better teams on paper, right? Um, which means that we had a lot of great athletes. We had a lot of players come in, um, where even to the point where there was seven D1 scholarships offered to some of our players, which is a big deal in, in the Valley, uh, at Monroe specifically, that, that there were that many um, D1 opportunity athletes. There was even a couple of them that went to schools like Michigan and Boise State. Um, and we were really getting all the hype in the newspaper. The newspaper was like, man, this team is going to, you know, finally win league. They're going to go deep in the playoffs. They have a chance to win 
city. All of that was going on. And we were like in the paper, not me, because I wasn't one of those D1 offered, just for the record. But of our players, and they, you know, they had the pictures with them and kind of all that stuff. And it was just, it was cool. I was like, man, this is exciting. We're excited for what's coming. We're excited for this year because we have the roster, right? We have the players. And so from the outside looking in, reading the papers, there, everyone seemed like, man, this is a great team that's been assembled. But the true heart of a great team is what happens when conflict arises, right? The true, the true environment and the culture really comes to be when conflict arises. And what will they do when things don't go the way the paper says they will go? That real winner is created in those moments. So we lost our first big game uh, in the year. We went, like, I think it was 4-0, and then we lost in the big game against Silmar High School, just if you guys know this area. They were our big, one of our big rivals, and that, at that time, we were in the Mission League, and so, it was, anyways. Um, and it was such a big deal because we weren't supposed to lose. And so... Right at the end of the game, players started pointing at each other. Coaches started pointing at each other. It's your fault. You did this. You did that. You didn't run the play right. Just started pointing at each other, fighting, getting angry, getting upset. And then at that week of practice, it was just, man, conflict was all over the place. Players, we couldn't even finish practice without fighting. Players couldn't finish practice without getting mad at each other. It got to a point where, this is crazy, our head coach was like, stop. We're going to the gym. And we're like, what? So we all walk to the gym. We got our cleats on. And we all take off our cleats and go into the gym. Get in a big circle. We get in a big circle. And then there was these two guys that like had the biggest conflict throughout. Like they were just fighting each other. One of them was the coach's son, which is crazy. And he's like, go in the middle. You guys are going to fight until, until we're done. And they just like start fighting. And we're like, what is happening? Is this a fight club? Like, it was such a toxic environment where when, when conflict arose, we didn't know what to do. It was harmful. Like, it was hurting people. Like, these are high school students. Yeah, we were athletes, and we were, you know, this big and, like, strong guys were like, oh, like, trying to fight. And it was just not healthy. It was so toxic. One game, one conflict created this, this moment with, with this roster that was supposed to do big things. The, the, the head coach the following week went on to fire the offense coordinator that week, just from one loss and all the conflict. And then we ended up losing the next three out of four games, and we barely squeezed in to the playoffs, and um, we were like third in league, and, or I don't know what we were. we were. We were not up there like we were supposed to. And then we lost in the first round of the playoffs, and that was the season. And that following year, the whole coaching staff was fired. But rightly so, because I think what they did was not healthy. What the reality is, is that toxic environments, man, they hurt people. Like, no matter how good the roster is, no matter how good people are or the talent is, no matter how good it might seem from the outside, the environment being toxic hurts people. And in our gospel-centered church environment here at Story City Church, we would be foolish to think that we are exempt from such a culture, that it can't happen amongst us. I mean, hope not. But to think that we're exempt from it just because is foolish. Because healthy environments are intentional and fought for. This is exactly what was happening in Corinth. 
like we read. There was squabbles going around. People were fighting. There were, there were people doing things that were just unheard of. Um, and they came to the point where the Corinthians didn't know what to do. They were a young church, and they knew what to do when it came to uh, their flesh. And their response was like, I'm just going to sue them. I'm going to, you know, the Corinthian church was known to, like we shared a while back, that they were, they were a community that, that were very prestigious, that they were known and well-known amongst the other cities around them. And so their response to conflict in the church was, I'm just going to sue my other brother or sister in Christ. What a crazy response. This is getting bad. I'm so glad that the scriptures don't cut this part out this part out, right? They help us like realize that this is a reality. So I want to read the passage one more time and see what Paul's getting at. Like why is Paul addressing this moment and what's he trying to say? I think that's important. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8 says, if you, if any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it out to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, and uh, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? What? How much more matters of life in this life? So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this time, this is, sorry. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers, as it is to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat on you, for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you uh, do this to brothers and sisters. So what is he talking about? First of all, Paul is using a rebuking and sarcastic tone to get a point across, all right? He's telling them like, yo, Corinthian people, you should know what to do in these scenarios because they're believers, right? They're, they're, they've been walking, but they're young in their Christian walk. They're young, a young church. They should already be aware of this. So he's saying, like, snap out of it. That's why he's using this tone. Snap out of it. Do you not know who you are? Because he's not saying, and sometimes we read this passage and we take it out of context, he's not saying never use legal matters when criminal behavior occurs. That's not what he's saying. Like, if you read the context and what's happening and what's actually going on, like, let's make sure we understand that he's not saying court is evil and don't go to court and don't do legal matters, like, do it amongst you. You should have an actual courtroom in the church and make sure that it's done in church. Like, that's not what he's saying. Like, let's first clarify that. What he is trying to do is he's helping them grasp their identity and their purpose being God's people. Like, he's like, do you not realize who you are? Do you not grasp what's going on here? In the midst of conflict and hardship, your response is reflecting what you believe of who God is and what you believe of who you are. And what's that identity and purpose? What is that? And so today I want to give us our big idea as we go through this. Our big idea is... We are a hurting people that are called into justice and reconciliation. Paul is helping them understand that we are a hurting people, but we are called into justice and reconciliation. 
What does that mean? What does that look like? I love this quote by Nikki Gumbo. He's the guy who created Alpha, if you guys are familiar with that. He said this, he said, churches are not museums that display perfect people. But they are hospitals where the wounded, the hurt, injured, and the broken find healing. This is who we are as God's people. We are not a museum of perfect people. We have to understand that. But we are hurting and broken people seeking to find healing and to do that amongst one another. So Paul is exhorting these new believers because they desire to follow Jesus well. They desire to. But their hurt and their sin is getting in the way. I don't know if if you are familiar with that, but that's common. I hope the three observations that we have today will help us grasp who we are and what it means and what it looks like as his church to to walk into conflict and and to walk into hard situations and what that means for us as God's people because I first believe, truly believe it, it really comes first off knowing who I am and who we are as individuals, as the body of Christ before we can respond and react. Hope that we can see healthy conflict resolution. And our first observation of what that is. The first thing we have to observe and recognize is that we are a hurt people that hurt people. You guys have probably heard that before. Hurt people hurt people. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use it, even though it's, it's played out sometimes. But it's the truth. And this is not just a statement outside of the church. This is a statement for the body of Christ. That we are a hurt people that hurt people. Right? He was like, if any of you has dispute against another, how dare you take it out to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? He's helping them realize, like, hey, you guys are hurting each other. You guys have disputes among each other. This is the reality of what's going on. This is the matter of fact. This is the reality that we are hurting people that will eventually hurt one another. And we're not exempt from that. And we're not exempt from hurting people. I was doing a this morning, a meditation and prayer through uh, forgiveness. Like just, okay, forgiving some of the people in my past that hurt me and I'm like, I forgive them, Lord, I forgive them. But the reality is, is that a lot of the times those things still linger in our hearts and our minds. And I was doing that, I was trying to be intentional and I realized that like three out of the five that I thought of on top of my head were, were people that I loved and cared for in the body of Christ that have did something against me that hurt me. And what helped me realize is that, man, we're not exempt from this. That that we're not going to act like we're a perfect people and pretend that we can't ever hurt one another. I think if we have that demeanor going into being a part of a community in a church, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be disappointed. Because the reality is that we have to recognize our depravity. We have to recognize our brokenness. We have to recognize that we're sinful people and that we have to humble ourselves enough to admit our faults and our needs. Like we need help. We need help to figure out how to love well. We need help to figure out how to care for one another well because trying to do that on our own and trying to do that with our own flesh is just going to damage people and hurt people. The reality is that we're guilty in the court of law. Right? To use this, this picture and this image that Paul is using in court, that we're guilty, that, that we're on right, the defendant's table and we're before the judge 
and we're guilty, and not just guilty, but we're guilty and deserving of the death sentence. And we're trying to claim to the judge, like, oh wait, you know, I, I didn't do it. But in reality, we're guilty. Paul says this in Romans 3, 10 through 20. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good what is good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers venom in under their lips. As you're reading this, you're like, do we think this is somebody else or do we recognize like, man, this is, this is me. Verse 14, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. We wouldn't know what good or bad is or what sin is if we didn't have the law, if we didn't have something that told us what's right and wrong. The reality is, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're before the courtroom, we're in front of the judge, and the reality is we are guilty. We're guilty. And the church is a bunch of these people coming together in community trying to figure it out. I have to recognize this reality. But the beauty of it is that it doesn't end with that story. God doesn't leave us hanging. He makes a way. He makes a way. But we have to know that that is our original nature, is sin and death. Our second observation when we deal with conflict and who we are is that we are a justified people called to seek justice. That we are a justified people called to seek justice. Verse two was a powerful one. He says, or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by, by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? Do y'all know that? Like, no, Paul, we didn't know that. Like, what are you talking about? What are you saying? We will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? He's saying, do you not know who you are? Do you not recognize who you are? And then Romans, the same passage we were just reading, he continues, he says, but now, okay, it didn't end there, right? It didn't end with the depravity and the brokenness, because it's true, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through Jesus, is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all, like we read, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat 
that's a big one. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate the righteousness because he of his restraint, God pa- passed over the sins previously committed. That who committed? That we committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who, was, who has faith in Jesus. So what's happening here? Let's go back to the scene. We're in the courtroom. We're before the judge. We're guilty. And we have nothing else to say. In comes Jesus into the courtroom. He comes in the courtroom, walks up, moves us aside, stands in front of the defendant table and says, I'll take it. I'll take all the guilt, all the sin, all, all the things that they deserve, all the punishment, I'll take it upon me. That's exactly what that verse is saying. That Jesus came in his righteousness. He had no guilt. There was nothing about him that deserved what he was about to get. Everything that he had was perfect. Everything that he did was right. Yet he came in and said, all the wrong that they have done, I'm going to take their place. Put me in that judgment seat. Put me in that punishment. Put me eventually on the cross to take the death penalty for them. This is so hard for us to grasp sometimes. Like this is actually what it means to be justified. That we're not justified because we convinced the judge to make us innocent. We're justified because Jesus, the righteous one, came in and replaced us and said, they're not the defendant anymore, I'm gonna take their spot and I'm gonna take the punishment on the cross. And not only that, not only am I gonna take the punishment and that they'll have mercy, that's called mercy, but they're gonna now have the righteousness that I have, Jesus, and I'm gonna put it on them. That the judge now is not only gonna see them as innocent, but they're gonna see them as righteous as Jesus is righteous. This is called the imputed righteousness. That we are now seen as forgiven and justified, but also righteous in the eyes of God, the judge, because of Jesus. Wow. Jesus came into the courtroom. He shed his blood on the cross, took the punishment so that our guilt can be washed away and that have the righteous now, righteous now, righteousness now in him. Guys, that's called grace. Grace is now received. We're not just justified, we're righteous. Like, what? What is he talking about? We now have the benefits of the righteous one, of the anointed one, of the Messiah. We now have the enthroned seat of God alongside Jesus. We sit with him on the throne. Like, do we not understand? Like, wait a minute, I thought we were sinners. I thought we were broke. Yes, but not anymore if you believe in, in Jesus in faith because he came and took the punishment we deserved. We are now enthroned that we are now justified and that we are to seek justice. Jesus even said this. He even said this. He said in Matthew 19, 28 and 29, I was like, when I read this, I was like, oh, even Jesus said this. He said, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, he's saying at the end of day, when I come back, he says, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. You. Those who believe, like do you envision yourself in this reality? 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more all the inheritance of eternal life. Like we are not just this sinful, depraved person anymore. We have to recognize the natural flesh, but the reality is, is because of what Jesus has done, he steps in and makes us righteous. And not only righteous, he says, come sit with me. So Paul here is saying like, did you not realize that you will judge angels? Do you not realize that you will judge the world? He's saying, Jesus said this, that we're seated with him. To the point where like, if this is the reality, like can you not figure out something between each other? Can you not figure out, like, man, like, that, that paint on the wall, the color, I just can't understand it. I'm leaving. I'm leaving this church because the color of the wall is not the color I like it. Like, are you serious? Like, you, you're called righteous, and you're sitting on the throne, and then one day you will sit with God judging because he is righteous, and he put us there on the throne room, and yet here in this time, right now, in church, in this community, you have to sue your brother or sister to figure out a conflict? Like, this is what Paul is trying to help them understand. He's like, do you not realize who you are? Do you not realize the righteousness and the justification that Jesus upheld? Can you not give each other the grace and mercy that he has given you? Can you not reach and care for and love and help justify the situation amongst you? Is there not one amongst you that can help do that? Like, that's what he's talking about. That's exactly what he's saying here. Do you not know who you are? As God's people. We cannot figure out how to deal with conflict as God's people until we figure out who we are. If we can figure out who God has made us and who we are in him, we can lovingly look at conflict, we can lovingly look at situations and be like, you know what? Let's talk through this. We can figure this out. Jesus died on the cross, showed us mercy for our sins and our brokenness, so that we can figure this out. We can walk in this. We don't need to go sue one another. We don't need to go turn and leave the church. We don't need to go and, and, and create gossip and, and, and make the, create, the situation hectic and chaotic. We know who we are in Christ. We know what he's done for us. And we can lovingly share and display that through the way we absorb, observe conflict. We're a justified people that seek justice amongst one another. That's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the beauty. That we're hurting people that have been justified by grace. So not only are we justified, my third and last observation, is that we are also a reconciled people called to seek re reconciliation. That we are a reconciled people called to seek reconciliation. What does that mean? What are you talking about? The reality is we have blatantly wronged God over and over. We spit in his face with our sin. And through Jesus, he has forgiven, justified, and made us right. Right? But not only are we forgiven, not only are we justified, we are also reconciled. Okay, that's another Christianese word. What does that mean? What is reconciled? What's the difference of justified, reconciled? This is, the, this is an actual definition of reconciliation. To restore friendly relations between one another. To cause to coexist in harmony with one another. 
So not only are we forgiven, which I think may be a little bit easier to understand, but we are embraced and loved and restored back to harmony with God. That the relationship with him is not just like, ah, oh, we're forgiven. But there is harmony amongst us. There's harmony within us. He graciously offered it to us. So not only is Jesus the king and the judge, he's also our friend. He's also our friend. That's what reconciliation is. Justified is that he's the great king that made it right. Reconciliation is that he's our friend. He is now our friend. And not only are we forgiven, we embrace his love and restoration and harmony with him. That graciously it is offered to us. See, what great news is that? That we are now reconciled, harmony with God. And we're called to receive harmony and also pursue harmony amongst one another. Not only are we now receiving this harmony and reconciliation, we are called to walk in that with one another. This, this ministry of reconciliation. So later on in Corinthians, this is the same letter that he's writing to the Corinthian church. This is now the second letter. He writes two letters, right? I'm going to talk about uh, another letter that he wrote, but it's in 2 Corinthians 5. He talks about this understanding of reconciliation. This is so important. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself. He's not counting their trespasses against them. We talked about that, right? And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us, harmony with us. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So not only did he die and become sin for us, we are now made the righteousness of God. So we are to reflect his righteousness, his reconciliation amongst one another. And through that, it reflects to the world who Jesus is. We are reconciled to reconcile. To make harmony amongst one another. To become the righteousness of God. And to be with one another in love and harmony. This reflects the love of Jesus. This reflects the grace and mercy of God in our community. And the cool thing is that he doesn't just leave us like unpractical of what to do. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that well? How do we reconcile with one another well? When things go wrong, what do I do? Jesus is like, hey, Matthew 18, I said it. I told you what to do. He said in Matthew 18, a lot of verses today, which is good because it's all scripture. If your brother sins against you, if and when, right? Because it's going to happen. Go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one, uh, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. So the scriptures give us the practical way of how to deal with conflict. And if that doesn't work, take it to the church, because guess what? Accountability is important. 
talking and, and encouraging one another. And if there's sin amongst one another, like, let's figure this out. We can do it because we are the righteousness and justified ones of Christ. We can show each other the grace and mercy that he's called us to walk into. It's practical. Seek to understand. Address one another face to face. Accountability and healthy reconciliation starts first with knowing who you are and also knowing who Jesus is. Then seek to understand, just like Matthew 18 says. Address one another. Talk to one another. See, if if my coaches, during the midst of that game and, and that situation, if they recognize this truth, in the end of the loss, they would have paused. Gone to the, my head coach would have gone to the offense coordinator and be like, hey man, let's talk through this. What happened? What went wrong? Talked amongst one another. Not, dude, it was your fault in front of everyone. Do you get what I'm saying? There is this unity that comes with knowing the, the righteousness of God that we have. And that we get to do this practically in the way Matthew 18 shows us. We begin to build each other up as we seek to understand and care for one another. This produces unity and true reconciliation amongst one another. It's, it's hard talking about topics like this because none of us like conflict. Right? There's no one that's like, I love it. Like, let me run into it. Like, maybe some of us are more keen to it. More, some of us are more, they're better, we're better at it than others. But it's not, it's not like a, a joyful thing to experience. But it truly is important to understand the scriptures and actually to uplift each other and, and teach each other how do we do this well? How do we do this in light of who we are in Christ? So let us embrace Paul's loving rebuke and reminder today that we are hurting people that are called into justice and reconciliation. We have to understand that. That we are hurt people that hurt people. Hey, we gotta give each other grace. We gotta give each other grace. We're hurting, we're broken. Like we're gonna do things, we're gonna say things that are probably gonna hurt each other. It's a reality. And the second, we are justified people that are called to seek justice. We are made righteous to make things right amongst us. That if God did this and Jesus displayed it through his mercy and grace, that we can figure out how to walk in that mercy and grace with one another. We can talk to one another and walk through it and create justice amongst one another. And third, that we are reconciled people called to seek reconciliation. That there could be harmony amongst us and joy. True, healthy communities aren't those that never experience conflict. True, healthy communities are those that when conflict arises, we address them the way God has called us to walk in them. In humility, in realization, with grace and mercy, and going through the Matthew 18 procedure. Like, it's all laid out for us. What a joy and truth that is. And this time, in really, in harmony with who we are and what, what God has done for us and, and the fact that Jesus reconciled us back to himself, he made harmony amongst us because of his doing on the cross by embracing and taking what we deserved, 
the blood that he shed on the cross, we're gonna, we're gonna take it together, communion, and remember what he's done. We're gonna take communion together and be like, wow, Lord, because of what you've done, because of, of the death that you died, the, the, the blood that you shed, your body that you broke, because of what you've done, we are now made justi justified. We are now made right in the eyes of God so that we can love one another, seek justice for one another, and reconciliation with one another. What a joy that is. Today is the first Sunday of the month, um, so we're gonna take it all together in unity. Um, so I'm gonna pray for us, and after, my, after I pray, love for you to go get the elements, go up and take the elements. If you have a, a gluten-free uh, need, there's also a gluten-free option for you there. Um, and then before you take it, please come back to your seats and hold the elements with you, and then I'll lead us into a time where we take it all together in unity. Sound good? Let me pray for us, um, and then we'll do that. Jesus, we thank you that you died for us. That for those that have faith in you, those that believe in you, we have, made, we have been made justified because of what you've done, because you took our place in the courtroom, because you took the punishment that we deserved, because you took the cross that we should have been on, and you shed your blood and you broke your body and that through communion we can remember you that through communion we can recognize this reality that through communion we don't take it lightly that we seek and understand how grateful we are because of what you've done for us we respond right now through this word, through this message of reconciliation of, and how to, to, to address conflict. God, we thank you that your word helps us through that, teaches us how to do that well, and really begins with knowing who we are in you and what you've done for us on the cross. So as we take communion this morning together, Lord, I pray that we can take it with hearts of gratitude and also hearts of remorse that you took the cross for our sin and for what we've done. But yet, you've given us a great joy and a great inheritance by establishing your righteousness on us. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.